Good morning, good morning. This is Tracy Dobes, President and CEO of MCNC, and I thank you for joining us on MCNC Community Connect, which is a podcast where leaders and innovators regularly meet to discuss some of today's hottest technology topics and trends, as well as new legislation and funding uh, that is happening across the U.S. and across the state. Each episode is aimed to inspire fresh ideas and to have important conversations around technology's increasing role in economic development, broadband infrastructure, cybersecurity, digital equity, and inclusion, and more. Today, I'm joined by two fantastic guests who are experts in the areas of DEI. Mark Hoyt, can I ask you to introduce yourself first? Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm the Vice Chancellor and uh, CIO at NC State University, and uh, glad to be here. Thank you. And Stephanie Jane? Hey, I'm Stephanie Jane, and I am the uh, Senior GIS Analyst and Digital Inclusion Liaison at MCNC. Thank you both for joining me and let's dive right in. So MCNC has been involved in digital equity and inclusion efforts across North Carolina and at the national level for many years. And we take the role of helping our community very, very seriously. The pandemic, as most people have heard me say many times, has shined a bright light on the haves and the have nots in North Carolina. And MCNC continues to ensure that North Carolina's future is connected today by deepening our engagement in these crucial digital inclusion efforts. While we can't address all aspects of DEI on its own, uh, MCNC along with other research and education networks all over the country are well positioned to leverage the middle mile networks and community relationships for this work which can create rippling effects in broadband access for health and wellness, learning, civil engagement, innovation, cultural richness, and thriving economies and communities. Digital equity in North Carolina would have long lasting economic and social benefits. MCNC is therefore ready to lead and more importantly, ready to listen. So I'm gonna ask the favorite age old question and we'll start with you, Stephanie. Jane, what is digital equity and inclusion? Well, there are a lot of factors that go into this topic and um, we like to refer back to the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, NDIA, that defines digital equity as a condition where all individuals and communities have the technology capacity that's needed for full participation in our society, in democracy, in our economy. Um, Digital equity is necessary for everybody to have full access to opportunities of civics and culture, healthcare, learning, employment, and essential goods and services. And digital inclusion references all of the activities and the efforts, the work that removes barriers in order to create digital equity. So this can include things like broadband access planning and development for rural communities, as well as communities with underserved populations in terms of broadband access. So um, one helpful way to think about this is that digital equity is the ultimate goal and digital inclusion um, is how we work to get there. So Stephanie Jane, that is my favorite phrase. When you first introduced that to me last year, it always um, rings in my head whenever people are talking about digital equity and inclusion. Uh, Dr. Hoyt, I got real formal on you just now. Uh, What are your thoughts around that definition? So I use a a more gut level description and, and kind of fits with my personality, those of you that know me. Um, yes. I believe it's the it's taking away any barriers so the use of digital tools and technologies is available to everybody and lets them live the life they choose 
and are not hindered by it. So they have access, they have the tools, they have the knowledge. If they want to pursue work, they can get the tools and work. If they want it for entertainment, if they want to you know, create new um, initiatives, it, it's whatever they want, you are not hindered by it. And that, that's the equity part. Uh, I love the inclusion statement you made, Stephanie. Uh, it, in, 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 I'm reminded of all the, what, what's, what's, it, what's equity and what's, what's equality and some of those other statements and those other things. And uh, they become, you know, you have to include, you know, what's well, we talk about well-being now on campus. It's not enough just to be included, but you have to include well-being. Well, what's digital well-being? How do you ensure that people get the same access, but then are included, but then also enjoy it, also are comfortable with it? And so, so we strive to do all of that with it. And that's where the, the directions are going, by the way. I mean, if you look at it, there's a, a billions and billions of dollars are being spent to connect people. How do we get them included? Right? That, that's the next right. concern and the next step. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point, Mark. Um, how do we get them included? And how do we provide, particularly in the communities, the... Um, the right level of information so they understand the benefits of it, right? Um, it's not just to browse the web, but there's a lot more um, that you can do when you have connectivity, whether you're on campus or whether you're in rural communities. It's interesting, I had a conversation recently with someone who was talking about their really tiny town in um, rural North Carolina that was a fairly depressed area. And she went back recently and they had utilized connectivity to build a tourist town, which, you know, when you talk about economic development and a community taking the reins and making a thriving community, I think that's significant. And I think it's a model that we should be talking about um, across the state. And I do think that is a part of well-being when um, you go beyond the college campus. So we, we've talked about a lot about what it is. So we probably need to take a moment to talk about how we get there. So smart public investments, whether it's in infrastructure, education, research and development, uh, can help to build productive capacity, boost output and raise income levels like I just talked about. But how do we know we're making the right investments? Mark, what are some approaches we can take to support digital inclusion? Well, I'll jump back in history. So those of you that don't know me, I'm at uh, NC State, which is a land-grant university. And we have a history of what's called, used to be called agricultural extension, but extension, which means we have a, a people whose job it is to work in all the counties to help take research and information from the university and help further uh, improve the quality or the, the opportunities they have to, for their businesses, for their um, activities. So if you go back in the 40s and 50s, that's what Ag Extension did. The government, federal government paid money to do that. They brought new farming techniques, new business techniques, new pest management techniques, all the things that came out of the research universities and helped them become mainstream. And essentially they created agribusiness. So one of the largest business models in the nation agricultural business started from spreading out that information and helping them get equity, get inclusion, use new techniques and new tools and all the way forward. So I use that as an overlay of a model of why we have to do the same thing. And, and you were at a talk with us yesterday, um, Tracy, and one of the things is it's easy to get the, um, the minds, we need the hearts. And, and if you don't bring the hearts of people along, they're not going to get that trust and build in. And that's what that extension model did. And lots of people have forgotten about, forgotten about that. So um, I, I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing we've learned, and that's where Stephanie, when I work with you and doing the maps, getting people to work together and form a, a, a collective, a group, a cohort, a, a community is the only way to get success. And those are, neighborhood by neighborhood or city by city. Um, it takes a lot of work. It does. And it does. yes, in that presentation yesterday, we moved from uh, the technical aspect of it to the passion piece, because you really do have to care about the success of the communities. And what a great example um, 
when you talk about my alma mater, go pack. And, <laughs> and the investment that was made to uh, create a university that is certainly thriving today. Stephanie Jane, can you talk to us about how GIS mapping helps plan equity and inclusion? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so a lot of people have heard of the phrase of pictures worth a thousand um, words. And um, so I usually try to tack onto that um, from my experience, a map is worth a thousand pictures. And that's kind of how GIS works because you then take all the information that's available in a picture and you're stacking layers of information together, pictures if you will, into one place across a landscape. And it helps you to visualize and better understand complex issues as they're happening. It helps answer the question, where? Um, and more specifically, in the issues of digital equity and inclusion, um, GIS is needed to help identify areas that are in greatest need of our resources, that we are always finite, but we're stewarding resources that we wanna direct to areas that need them most, um, as well as opportunities that are presented um, by the unique characteristics of communities. Um, and GIS can also help us to find and reach populations that would particularly benefit from efforts. Um, and it can even give us clues as to perhaps the best ways to go about reaching these populations as we're communicating with them and adapting approaches from community to community. Um, at MCNC, we've uh, developed a few resources that we hope that can be um, tools in these collaborative conversations that we're having across our state. Um, and so uh, the primary example there is that we have an interactive set of online maps that anyone can access and use. And we bring these to the table uh, for anyone that wants to join the conversation um, to look at layers of information, um, everything from broadband infrastructure and availability data to demographics, uh, survey responses, um, priority areas like tribal lands and, um, and public housing communities um, to uh, activities and pilot projects that we've heard about happening across the state so that people can contact one another and learn from each other. Um, and so we are um, hosting those maps and improving them as we go based on input that we get um, from collaborators and things that we learn from people who are interested in this conversation across the state. I believe that's how it will always need to be. GIS can be a very responsive tool um, to take information from many different sources and put it together to help paint an accurate picture of a complex issues and then respond as that issue is dynamic and changing over time. So I will say a couple of things about that. Um, Stephanie Jane is a well-known GIS leader, GIS mapping leader and expert um, across the state. Other research and education networks talk about the work that she does and even beyond that. These public uh, maps that she and the team have created have been a great way to tell a very compelling story about where we are, and when I say the we, North Carolina in general, and where we need to be more importantly. And when I started at MCNC, that was a perfect way for me to understand uh, what was going on in the state. And it was also a good way for me to explain to legislators and others who were interested in, in hearing about um, where the where a lot of the gaps still 
fly uh, within North Carolina. And I love that we continue to update it. We continue to talk about it. It's publicly accessible. It's not something that, um, that you have to pay for and anyone can use it. And I think it's a very valuable tool Mark, from your perspective, how else can we use data and mapping for DEI? So I, I got to step back in history a little bit. I, I started working with Stephanie, boy, it's been a bunch of years, Stephanie, but I needed some help putting the map together because I was doing it with Google Maps in a simple way and, and putting things on a map crystallized it for me. Where the river is, you can see where the bridge goes, you can see the is right next door to the other community that already has access. You can see where the current big systems are. You can see where the power plant is that maybe already has fiber run. You can see the businesses that might, you know, the other the anchor institutions, the hospital, where the, the university is, where the community college is, where the school systems are, the city library is. All of that becomes crystal clear and you start to get a picture of how you might interact. We've stepped it up, and, and if you haven't seen the map Stephanie has put together now and the ones they're talking about, they will blow you away. They are incredible. They have all of the resources. You can see the public library, the public schools, the uh, you name it, and you can start to get a picture of your own community. It is amazing to me how many people don't have that, and somewhere it's a bird's eye view, that view of how things interconnect. You get on a road and you know you turn left and you go over the bridge or there's the creek or what's happening. But until you see that view and you start to crystallize how, well, wait, the university or the community college is right here. And that's really only 2,000 feet away. That's not a big expense to bring a piece of fiber over to get to the other connection. Now, voila, you're connected. And, and where your water tank is to put an access point on or anything like that. It is. A, a, and so. Stephanie, you know, you've done, I call you back up. Stephanie, I need another map. Can you add these other things to it and do that other stuff? Now she's taken it to, to 10 levels above that and it's already there. I say, do you have, and she goes, well, click on the link and over here and it's already there and, and it's great. So I encourage people, as a matter of fact, all of the guides that tell people how to look at um, how you want to make uh, changes, what you want to do for investments, how you want to bring broadband, how you want to expand to get inclusion and equity, you look at the map. Right. What areas have it? What areas don't have it? Where are they near? What are they close to? What can we do? It is just phenomenal at that insight that you can get visually. And, and so to me, it is the only tool. I am terrible. At the, you know, yes, I know how to use spreadsheets and tables and all that stuff. That does not give you that view. Right. And you're right, Stephanie, it, it's, it's a thousand pictures and, and more. Right. Uh, and, and as yeah. you do it. The, the piece that I'd love to see, and I think we've talked about that, is can you put the approximations, the calculators that give you some clue to say, you know what, if I needed to connect here to here, about what it would cost me to do that? Well, wait a minute, that's all it is? Oh, wait a minute, could point-to-point -point wireless work? What are the solutions? So if you could start overlaying mm -hmm. solutions on top, talk about a tool, uh, it would be great. So I'm, I'm already going to the next level for you, giving you some more work to do. <laughs> That's what I count on you for, Mark, and being paired with enthusiastic thinkers like yourself and watching the wheels turn as a result of being empowered by maps, putting your hands um, is the, my favorite part of my career. And um, it always challenges me to to think to the next step and the next step after that. Um, I think the visual tool that maps provide um, is what drew me to this discipline in the first place. And over the years, I've gotten to see so many light bulbs turn on with people and then to be able to equip them with um, detailed information kind of boiled down into a visual format has, has really been exciting because those people very often, and you've often been one of those people, then takes that information and takes action. And that action has effects that, that help real life people on the ground, um, removing barriers that they had standing in the way between themselves and maybe uh, health wellness or learning and education goals, or, or maybe um, 
some kind of invention or idea. So it's, it's really comes full circle. Uh, technology that empowers people to make other technology available. And then when we empower those people, they will be contributing back. So I have a challenge to follow on with that for you. So like I talked about extension and the other things, and we've talked about using that map. Um, my background is civil engineering. Mapping is easy for me. I know GIS, I go, right? So it was an yeah. easy mix for me to work with you and do that. But then I go look at some of these communities that are, don't have connectivity. They're maybe on their cell phone. They don't know about mapping. And that map that we've created is great for the me's of the world. It's intimidating for some of those others. So how do you get a navigational assistant? How do you get people to show that and help them understand it? And, and I'm not necessarily challenging Stephanie you as the map maker, but I'm kind of challenging the audience and challenging other folks to say, how do you get somebody to help the community use that map to answer their questions and come up with a plan or come up with a community or do something. Um, Extension did it by getting government funding to do it. Maybe some of this government funding in the future can help digital navigators, digital, I don't know what we call them, right? Digital yeah. map experts, right? Um, yeah, I was just going to bring up uh, digital navigators because that's a great opportunity within these uh, communities to start to teach people how to utilize these maps and more importantly, what the value is for their communities. Um, and you bring up an interesting point, Mark, uh, the, there's some economic impacts to uh, the digital equity and these smart investments that we were talking about earlier. Uh, last Friday, I was uh, benefited by the company of US Commerce, Secretary Gina Raimondo. Uh, she was in Durham to announce the launch of Internet for All initiative, which will invest $45 billion to, a pro to provide affordable, reliable, high-speed Internet for everyone in America by the end of the decade. That sounds very daunting. And as we were talking about tools that help us get there, this is very, very significant. This plan aims to build infrastructure, teach digital skills, which is exactly what we're talking about here, and provide necessary technology to ensure that everyone in America, including communities of color, rural communities, and older Americans that tend to uh, have less knowledge and understanding of broadband's use, uh, has the access and skills they need to fully participate in today's society and the digital economy. So the three notices of funding that we're talking about is broadband equity access and deployment program, which is $42.5 billion with AB, uh, enabling middle mile broadband infrastructure program, which of course for MCNC, we would definitely be an applicant. Um, for uh, that funding, and that's $1 billion. And then the State Digital Equity Act Program, which is $1.5 billion. And so I'm really hoping that with that last notice of funding, there might be a, an opportunity there to talk about learning, to talk about um, literacy. When uh, I attended the roundtable with um, the secretary, uh, it, she was asking that very question, what would be the pitfalls even after all this funding is distributed for it to be successful? What would cause it not to be successful? And there was a lot of conversation about, yeah, the technology will be, be there, but how do we help communities utilize the internet in a way that helps their community um, get better, right? And so to go from this really small rural community that doesn't have a whole lot there to a tourist community that's bringing in uh, money and is really thriving in a way that they wouldn't have. Stephanie, I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, just the, the funding program and the launch of the Internet for All initiative. Right. Um... I mean, I think that we're finding ourselves in a very unique moment in digital equity efforts, in um, 
the broadband access landscape. Um, the, the opportunity is um, paired equally with responsibility to be a good steward of these resources. As huge as these dollar amounts sound, um, they are still finite. And the infrastructure and work that goes into addressing gaps in digital inclusion um, are, are expensive. So, um, you know, it may not go as far as you might think. And also every dollar matters um, that people have entrusted to these efforts. So um, I, I can't help but be biased about thinking that we need solid blueprints, uh, guide our steps forward in a data-driven way using maps and data. Um, so there's a huge opportunity there to uh, pair uh, good high quality maps with an eye towards granularity, um, because that just means how specific you're getting from one area to the next, um, because communities are very unique from one area to the next and populations are diverse and different from one area to the next. Taking that solid information Having um, using that to inform a game plan, but flexing that game plan and crafting it around input from all these voices within the communities is going to be really important. And it's an all hands on deck situation um, to address digital inclusion together. Um, so I think it's going to be very exciting and very important for a lot of different people from different backgrounds, different styles of organizations, um, public, private sector, all of that to, to come together and because each perspective will have something to bring to the table. You know, a lot of the success I've seen has been in pockets of local areas that add up together and we, um, we take digital inclusion goals and we pair them well with very local specific, even family specific goals. Are our goals to stay in touch with other family members? You know, are, is that the relevance of communication technology? Is it um, business development for our entrepreneurs and our local agricultural sector? You know, we need to have really good listening ears as we go forward together. And that's going to really give us um, a holistic approach. So I'm going to go, um, I'm going to take this a little bit further because I would love to hear your take and Mark's take on the affordable connectivity program. And, you know, the, I think it's 14 billion, I might have to check my numbers there, but it, there's a subsidy of $30 a month so that uh, citizens can not only get connectivity, but to continue to pay for it. One of the issues that we've seen in North Carolina is that 640,000 families have signed up for ACP is the initials for it. And there are 3.4 million people who are eligible. So the word still isn't getting out into these communities or there may be a trust issue here of why they're not signing on um, for this very valuable program that helps them to continue to afford uh, connectivity once it's here. What do you, do you have any, remarks or feedback on that, Stephanie, around, um, and I wonder if there could be a mapping component there to see if the, it is uh, in particular places that could be addressed with a uh, communication plan or something like that. What are your thoughts right. on that, Stephanie? Um, and I think this maybe speaks uh, to Mark's challenge earlier in the conversation, um, you know, uh, how how do we get these tools and analytics into people's hands? But also, how do we engage people in an available program like this that's an opportunity? I, 
I don't have all the answers. I really don't. But I think uh, one big first piece of that is, is make sure they know, you know, empower people with information by just letting them know something is there. Um, And secondly, let's meet people where they're at. Okay. Because um, there may be some cultural ideas or barriers. It could be there are a number of people who we think could access the funds, but they actually don't have the connectivity to leverage the subsidy for the subscription. And we're looking at maps that may be, uh, you know, imperfectly generalizing an area. And so we think that that the issue is, is lack of interest when it may be something else. Um, and so, uh, so again, that you know, being, being a good listener and finding out where people are at, what goals they have, aligning them, the, the goals together. Um, and being really resourceful, I think, to address the challenges that people actually have, because we may start out with one understanding of what the barriers are. But as we work with communities, we will gain so much insight into the opportunities and barriers that we may have never thought of on our own. It's people within the communities themselves that can help us identify that and overcome challenges together. I agree totally. They, uh, there were some counties in a second round table and that was exactly um, the discussion. So your point is well taken. Mark, what are your thoughts? Um, I want to agree completely. And, and this is where it gets really, really hard. Um, I'm, I'm going to relate to something I heard on a, a, a radio podcast uh, about how do you take um, donation grant money and how do you give it to a, a community that's in need? And typically what we do is we look at the situation and go, oh, they don't have X. We're going to give them money for X. Um, and, and you give it to them and it, it's about 60% of the people. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is. But you didn't really ask them. You just looked and used your eyes, your viewpoint to make a decision on that. And the story was a, an African village that used thatched roofs. And thatched roofs are very cost costly to maintain. A lot of time they leak, right? So they gave them money and they said, we're going to replace your roof. Well, one community just said, tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to give you the money and you're going to decide what to do with it. And they, most of them changed their thatched roofs. Most of them put metal roofs on. One did not. And the whole community shunned him and said, you didn't do the right thing. And why not? Turns out the culture was um, his wife had passed away and he had children and he had no way to go to work and take care of the children. So he used the money as a dowry to, to get a wife to complete his family rather than his roof. That was a higher value. I say all that because, Stephanie, right in line with what you're saying, do I need internet in my home or is a library okay because I only need it once a week and what I really need are the skills to figure out how to apply for jobs? Or once a week I need to go buy something because I can get things delivered to my house cheaper than I can buy at the local store I don't need it every day. I don't need a $30 a month bill, but I would be willing to save money on my groceries. So what are the needs and do they really need consistent connections or partial connections or a device with a wireless because the amount that they're doing, they're not streaming movies. They're trying to better their lives. So Mm -hmm. helping them to figure that out and give them a what's in it for me solution and find ways to solve it we all think you need an internet connection at your home. I think eventually everybody will. But I think initially the disenfranchised, the disadvantaged need to find ways to use the internet that are successful to help them improve their quality of life, improve their, their needs, improve their desires, and help them get to that. And then they're going to go, oh, my God, look what I can do. And they'll start making migration for paying for it. And they'll make that balance and have that extra savings or income to do it. It does resonate with me, the concept of putting people in the driver's seat who um, have the goals and maybe have uh, the the disadvantages uh, because we want people to have the option 
to access technology with, within their home and, and leverage with the skills and the devices and everything. Um, but there are different paths to get there. And there are different paths to reach the ultimate goal that you're framing right now about uh, that, that quality of life, the benefit to the individual's life and the, the communities. Um, and so it may not look like what we would picture initially at some step or another along the way. So it's very interesting, um, but it's, uh, there's a lot that people can contribute to empowering people with options. So that's so sobering, uh, Mark, when you talk about um, essentially a pathway to even getting to connectivity and the value for it for families that are struggling to buy groceries for um, their families every day and may not see uh, connectivity as something that they need right now. It might just be something that they want one time a week. I don't know how we get um, away from that, but it does explain why you have 640,000 people signing up for ACP when 3.4 million are eligible. Uh, I think there you can scream it from the rooftops, but your point, which is very sobering to me, has got to be more than this is here. It has to be first, do you need it? Do you want it? And um, what else do you need in order to be able to use it fully? Because to your point, from a priority perspective, connectivity may not be the thing that they need. And more importantly, and similar to what, what Stephanie said, can we show you some things that might help your life? Like mm -hmm. I said, maybe it's a, you know, it lets you form a collective so you do group buys on groceries. You know, there are a lot of groups and communities that work together, go to Costco, buy a bulk and split it up so that they can save money. Maybe that's a more important thing and to use it as a community tool, right? Uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it, there's so many local communities and small communities forever. Co-ops, farm co-ops are exactly that. Piece of equipment is too expensive. We all group together and buy it. You know, there are solutions that have been going on for generations. How do we turn that into a technology that helps people do what they need? And I think they're there, right? I, mean, I think the technologies are there. It's just helping people understand how to take advantage of it to do some of those things to improve their lives. And it's not, just let me get on um, social media. So right. then what is the goal here? Because what I hear you saying is this is a tool. This is not necessarily the end all goal to get to thriving community. And that's an interesting concept and I have never heard it described that way from anyone. What is being discussed is Internet connectivity is the goal, period, end of sentence. Uh, but that's really not the case. Stephanie, were you going to say something? Well, I, I think you're, um, you're touching on it now, but it, that is a really good point. And I was going to just share a little anecdote that a dear friend of mine um, had uh, his father had um, never been on the internet. I grew up in a rural community and there's a, a lot of people who have a busy life and they, they carry on and they've just not really been introduced to anything that uh, captivates their imagination about what the internet can do for them or why it's relevant, right? Um, but they may not be aware of how it may address some challenges or um, meet, help them meet some goals that are important to them. Um, and so one day my friend's dad came over to his house and um, was struggling to repair a lawnmower and uh, they were working on it together. And my friend pulled up within 30 seconds, a YouTube video um, showing about this part that needed to be replaced and in a few steps, how to replace it and how that would be probably the solution to the symptoms that they were seeing. And um, that really hit home. And for a while thereafter, my friend's dad would continue to call and come over 
when there was a mystery problem with an appliance or, or lawn equipment. Um, and eventually he was interested enough and he saw how many times there was information available to him for free um, that he could apply to his problems uh, that he uh, began to use devices um, and, and uh, really took off, you know? He, he had all the, the intelligence and knowledge to um, apply the technology, but it was just really finding the hook to understand um, what, what was the value. You know, the value proposition is a big part of meeting people where they're at. It's definitely wow. the, is the perfect story because that is exactly how people learn, how you make a change, right? You have an epiphany, you have a moment that says, Oh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And until somebody who can make that translation between what you're struggling with and how a, a particular technology solution can help you, you don't know. Yeah. And another aspect of that story that catches my attention is relationship. Um, it's, that's an undervalued piece, right? But I think it's important. Um, mutual trust is very key in creating change together. And that was a family relationship. But we also have community anchor institutions across our state. We have trusted teachers and librarians and healthcare providers at, at schools and libraries and hospitals and, and local doctor's offices and so on. We, ha we have people who have relationships with neighbors in their surrounding community and when those relationships are healthy and when those um, potential div digital navigators, as we've mentioned, um, uh, when they're equipped with the infrastructure they need and the bandwidth they need and all the technology tools, then, then they can bring that into their trusting relationships in communities and kind of help have those conversations to find what people are seeking and remove the barriers for them. Um, I think that's really a key thing that we should seek out in the way that we set up programs and the way that we collaborate, because often there are partners who bring massive technology assets to the table and expertise, but we may not have people on the ground in a specific community. And we just need to really be diligent about combining those things because those voices with relationships with, within the communities are really going to um, bring the message home and then, you know, complete the picture. So let me throw out a crazy idea. After listening to all this and talking with everybody, Every community needs a couple of those trusted translators, trusted connectors. And at the extension level, we paid for an agent, right? We paid for an ag agent in the counties to do that. Well, we're not going to, we don't have that kind of long-term dollars to get started. We need something small. What if you had an application process and part of this grant money, you said, we're going to give up to three in your community or community size, $50 a week. And your job, because you're already doing it, right? You're at a faith-based organization. You're at a hospital. You're, you're an educator in the hospital, right? We're mm -hmm. going to add the service that you listen to the people and you find something those people could use with connecting to the internet and get them on the library, wherever it is, show them and give them that connection that your um, uncle, was it? Or whoever it was, Stephanie, the, the relative that needed that. That they listen and know their needs. They know their community. And for 50 extra dollars a week, they're the helper in that region, right? I, I don't think it takes a lot of money. I don't think you have to buy a person who lives there full time to do it. I think just to get started, you train the trainer, you give them a little extra incentive to help do it. You give them a title to help give them some, some authority to help people. And it, it becomes a wildfire. I love the train the trainer model. And I think there is an existing network of people who already have uh, roles like what you're describing, Mark, in libraries and faith-based organizations. And 
And I do think that it'd be really valuable to look into what they may need to support that work, to help them take it further, to build capacity in that area, and to also share their insights from, from that experience. Um, I, I, every time I get to hang out with librarians, I hear the most incredible stories about what people have managed to accomplish with even just the basic digital literacy training that was made available to them. Um, People are smart. People are resourceful and, and they can find what you're showing them and uh, apply it to, to a thing that they want to achieve. Um, But it just takes a little bit of partnership. Well, and that's where, and, and I do it a lot at the university. I have an advantage of university students. I hire interns. Well, what if those small communities could hire a couple of high school students who generally high school students or even sometimes middle school have that savvy skill. And if you can choose them carefully, you get now somebody who can help make that translation and do that. And you can expand your workforce for not a huge cost. Wow. That's an interesting point. And I was going to move into this is once in a generation opportunity, but in terms of the funding that's coming through, but all of these ideas that you all are talking about doesn't really take a lot of money. It doesn't really take all this funding that we've been talking about. So if it doesn't take that, how are we going to get that? Right? Because, you know, we, we are, we're all, I'm listening to, um, the ideas and the right thing to do and the responsibility, right, for, for us to do it. But what is it going to take to get this word out so that they'll do the very thing you're talking about, Mark? I think that for me, that is the um, troubling spot here, right? Because you know, where, where do you go to provide this proposal so someone will execute upon this proposal within the state. Now, one option is uh, a young lady, and I'm gonna get her name wrong. Her name is uh, Lakeisha, and she is from uh, WinstonNet. And she's building this template um, in order to do some of the kind of community work that we're talking about. But the way that she described it to me didn't really include these um, additional pieces. I know uh, Maggie Woods for Institute for Emerging Issues, they have uh, been working on these digital equity and inclusion plans with Mm -hmm. some of these counties. But if there were a way to almost tag on to these efforts so that it could be executed upon because this is how you contribute to closing that gap. Any other thoughts on that particular thing? Because I think, you know, this is not a funding issue. This is more of a leadership issue. Tracy, one of the things I struggle with all the times is does it scale? I've been doing lots of efforts. Stephanie as a map maker has been doing, MCNC has been doing efforts. But you can't clone all of the people in that group to create enough people to reach out and do everything. So how do we find efforts that are reproducible and scalable at a cost level that can scale? Right? I think there are some. I think we're getting around at some of the, the, the ideas. The problem is, is how do we, you're right, you need leadership. How do you create those leaders? Um, I'm working with, I think, Stephanie, you're right. I think there are a lot of leaders out there who, if you gave them some incentive and gave them some train the trainers and gave them some pieces, they could go back and take over the world. Mm -hmm. They just don't have. Every community has them. Uh, Long years ago, I think you probably heard us calling them E-champions. Back in the days of the EMC authority. Um, And I, I, that term still sticks well with me um and i think that um people people do like that do exist in in each community that will come out of the woodwork and so perhaps the opportunity you know those voices once you have them are going to help you um guide where you're uh, directing the funding and other resources um and, but then to get there, 
I think it's really important for uh, the, the partners who have something else to bring to the table, like technology expertise and infrastructure. You know, MCNC is one of those partners. We have a great deal to bring to bear, as do the university systems and our healthcare partners. Um, but we, um, what we probably need to do is um, craft uh, a toolbox that's available to the local communities and partners um, so that that enables us to meet people where they are and offer options that are, you know, you're, when you're talking about scalability, that's really important. Sustainability is so important. And we do need to standardize in such a way that we have, um, we can respond and we, we know what to do, the steps to take to help bring our valuable assets to bear. Um, but it is going to be a challenge of e each community being different, each uh, approach needing to be adapted. Um, those local partners can inform that. And uh, so if we engage those local level communities and those e-champions um, find a way to have really good communication that brings these people to the table. And then we have a toolbox for them to select the things that are going to bridge their specific gaps. I think that we'd be really up and running and, so, and I'm seeing yeah, that happen. Yeah, no, no, I think you're hundred percent right. I think there's a preliminary step and here's where my struggle is. The mm -hmm. people in those small communities who, who are willing to step up and do that can't write the grants. They, they don't have the experience. They don't have the, the, the practice. They don't have, all the pieces needed to write these grants to get that money. So is there a group that can write the grant that says, we're going to train the trainers. We're going to bring them in and we're going to show them this toolkit. And we're going to show these local folks and you're going to step up and be designated an e-champion, uh, an e-leader, uh, an e-community advocate. Let's give it a title. Let's get some of that money. And you're right, leverage the school systems because they're probably in the school systems. They're in faith-based organizations. They exist. Mm -hmm. We just have to galvanize them and give them some help to, to the leadership skill that's needed. Do they know how to facilitate a group to come up with a solution for their community? Do they know who in the community are the leaders and can they get into that circle to get the business leaders in that community to work with them? There are a lot of stumbling blocks that cause people to fail in one of those communities if they don't have the right networks and connections and do that, and then the, the tools to make it work. So mm -hmm. how do and you- And I have seen- Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, you're, you're good. Um, I have seen some individual community level leaders really take the ball and run with it and, and uh, individual libraries and school superintendents applying for funding and- picking up the phone and calling anybody who will listen. Um, but I think you're right that there's um, a whole lot of capacity that can be built by including people and organizations that ha have uh, experience with this landscape and the applications and might have some, some resources available for it. So I think if we do it together, that's going to be the recipe for success. All right, I have a last mapping challenge for you and then Tracy's gonna to have to close us out. I know she's anxious, I can watch the body language, but my last mapping challenge, Stephanie, could you on a map for any community pop up the three to five to seven existing community organizing groups that may be, or individuals that may be that leader? So that somebody who wants to form a group could see, ah, here are the five people in the community or areas that are doing the most work that I could go to and try and galvanize them as a community. Really hard problem because I don't know where the data exists. Right. The short answer, unfortunately, is I wouldn't have that at this time. However, the good news is that, yes, that can be created. And we have come part way in the past. I recall a list of contacts that had been developed at the state broadband office, um, of those e-champion contacts. The, the thing is, Mark, and I know you already know this, is that there's no substitute for relationships. 
that have been earned and built over time. And so I do think we could, um, with the relationships that we have, MCNC and universities and others, um, among people from the state level down to the individual parts of communities um, and libraries and others, um, with those relationships, we could probably quickly organize that information for, you know, and it would be grassroots, which I believe in. Um, so let's get started today. Well, and, and again, sorry, Tracy, one second. What about proxy measures that might give you an indication? And I got to, we got to stop there. But anyway, think about that. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, Tracy, sorry. We could go on and on. I, I did want to say two things um, as part of this conversation. One, I apologize to Lakeisha Jordan because that is her last name. So I want to make sure I give her proper due. The second thing is in the round table with Secretary Raimondo, when we talked about this very thing, um, what the challenge that she gave all of us was to help people like Lakeisha who's building this template uh, so that she can get the grants that she needs and can build this toolbox. And I think that's a perfect opportunity. And I'm going to reach out to her today because this is what we were challenged with. And I suspect that Secretary Raimondo is going to come back to North Carolina and say, where's the homework that I asked you to do? Because she, she said, we're so far ahead in North Carolina that we could build something like that that could be repeatable for the most part with some tweaks. Mm -hmm. But she was also thinking it could be used um, in other states that may not be as far along as we are. So we do have an opportunity to at least start with the template discussion. And um, I think that's a really good start. And that allows us to start um, today. Uh, so, you know, I, I hate to ask, for thoughts and final wrap <laughs> up. But what I will say is uh, MCNC has been around for 40 years and we've been providing broadband and connectivity across the state. We've been virtually every county in the state affordably and effectively removing connectivity barriers previously experienced in North Carolina. We're ready to once again demonstrate just how important, reliable, fast, and affordable internet is today and how the right investments can lead to digital equity innovations that drive economic and social growth in North Carolina. You've heard today so many things that could jumpstart North Carolina and helping our communities that are really outside of the technology discussion. And I'm looking forward to furthering this conversation. Mark, 30 seconds, what are your final thoughts? Uh, MCNC has been a fabulous partner. I think you're exactly right. We can do that initial connectivity. We can help do the, the training and the outreach we've talked about today, the mapping, all those pieces. It will still require ISPs to connect to homes in the end of this. It is still an ecosystem. It's not going to be solved by the university and, and our regional optical network alone. It is the big picture, and we all have to work together to make it work. Concur. Stephanie Jane? Agreed. So I think that um, we have an opportunity here to, um, to plug in new resources and new partnerships into existing efforts that have been ongoing for years and there have been um, assets in individual communities and at the state level and a lot of successes to build off of. And so I think it will be uh, really important for us to learn from what's already ongoing and to ask the question, uh, where and how can we plug into this and take it further? Um, because there's often a temptation when we are tackling such big endeavors um, to reinvent the wheel or to wanna make a splash and start from scratch. And sometimes that's necessary, um, but this is a uh, digital inclusion and digital equity is uh, complex and has a lot of 
nuance and a lot of different things that go into it. So I'm excited to see what's next for everyone. Um, but I think it will be uh, a really especially valuable um, part of this next chapter to involve the individuals and organizations who have been at this work for quite a while, who have ongoing projects that we can learn from, and who have uh, that on-the-ground knowledge about goals that we can help uh, to realize. I, I agree totally. And the thing we've been talking about is exactly the comment that uh, Bruce Clark, who is the Digital Inclusion Project Manager at Queens Knight School of Communication, he made this statement and it rings true. This is not a public-private partnership. This is a residence-public-private partnership. And that big R is the thing that you know, clearly you have a, made a, a point that is incredibly value and it valuable and it is going to be what makes these programs successful. Thank you for joining us on MCNC Community Connect. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Stephanie Jane, for, for spending time with me today. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Be sure to check out our previous podcast, now available online, and make plans to join us again soon for our next discussion featuring technology leaders and innovators across North Carolina and the nation. You can listen to all episodes of MCNC Community Connect now on www.mcnc.org, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.